welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions with your host, me, Scott Howland. To find out more about Zephyr and how we're helping leading brands and businesses with customer journey orchestration, visit www.zephr.com. Hey and welcome to the Zephyr podcast sessions. We're back this week and it's my pleasure to be joined by Florian Bauer. Florian, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's, Great. It's, uh, we're recording this on a Monday, so we've had a nice break over the weekends, which is yeah. nice. Um, Florian, for people that don't know you, um, can you do a quick introduction to you, your role and what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Florian Bauer. I am member of the executive board at Vocatus uh, in Germany. Um, I'm um, by training. I'm a psychologist. I was working, or I am working, in behavioral economics in the past thirty years. Um, so I, I started with doing decision making experiment, and later on worked primarily on pricing. And this is what we do at Vocatus. We do behavioral pricing and selling consulting um, for a company of uh, different industries. Nice. And uh, I was um, I was uh, introduced to you by uh, Jeppa at Jisk Finkska, um, yeah. which was really interesting. And people that might have been uh, listening to previous weeks, they would have heard me um, um, speak with Jeppa a couple of weeks ago. Um, obviously, from there now, we're, uh, we got talking about high-level behavioral pricing and 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 how that works. And what we're going to do today is dive in a little bit into um, what is price psychology and behavioral pricing. Um, uh, so maybe that's a good place to start. How would you um, how would you describe if I asked you what is price psychology? Um, what is that? Well, price psychology, normally, if you look into the literature, there are a lot of papers on how people perceive and react on, on prices. Um, so there are uh, experiments on how if, if you have uneven prices or if you have framing effects or something like that. So there's a lot of work around that. Um, and on the other hand, I would I would rather look at behavioral pricing because this is a broader perspective rather than looking at single effects that are reported in the psychological literature. I would define behavioral pricing as um, an, a new approach to pricing where the focus is um, primarily on understanding the role of the price in a customer's decision-making process. Um, and that's a quite different perspective compared to classical pricing approaches, um, where basically there is the assumption that people have a certain willingness to pay. That means they have a certain predetermined price in mind. They're going to pay for a certain set of product features. And that's it. And basically in pricing, you need to understand and measure this willingness to pay. And this is everything you need to know. And then you set your price accordingly. Uh, in a behavioral pricing perspective, we look at it from a different angle because we don't see there is a willingness to pay. We rather talk about price acceptance and the fact that this is created and influenced throughout the whole decision-making process. That's quite interesting. Obviously, it's this new new approach and how this is this coming about. Um, have you got some examples of this kind of uh, behavioral pricing in, in, in action and how this differentiates? And I, I saw a nice quote, and this is where the, the, I'm just mm -hmm. explaining where my question is coming from. 
Um, if you think that setting the price level is the same as having a pricing strategy, you'll automatically enter a, a ruinous price war. Um, I think that was a quote from yourself um, yeah. That, yeah. that I was reading. Uh, and I kind of think that this links together, right? Pro behavioral pricing and, and the, the psychology behind that is um, is part of the pricing strategy. This is obviously what Focatas do and, and, and uh, how you go out about advising different companies on this. Yeah. How has that changed recently? How, how does that change in your opinion? Well, the thing is that a lot of um, um, decision maker in the company that decide about the price have a kind of uh, rationalistic understanding of their consumer or their customer. Um, so they, they tend to think that all their customers know the prices as well as they do. Uh, they all know the competitors as well as they do. Uh, and so they tend to think uh, the only way they can sell something to this very rational decision maker, let's call it a home economicus. Uh, so the only way they can sell something to this home economicus is by being cheaper than the competitor. Uh, so by these assumptions, by these assumptions only, they, they uh, go into a price war very often without the need uh, from a customer's perspective. Um, so what we do is not only, it is actually twofold. What we do is to better understand how the, the, the customer, be it B2C or B2B, really is making a decision. And on the other hand, um, changing the perspective internally of how uh, the customer is doing that, because very often uh, the biggest hurdle for more profits is not the customer, but somewhere between the company and the customer. Um, so there's a lot of change management actually involved when you do uh, pricing. It's not about uh, only an analyt analytical task. But to give you a very, uh, very easy example, and you were talking about uh, a newspaper company. So let's talk about the newspaper company. How do we pricing? Um, how do we do pricing when when the question is okay? What should I do with my subscription price, for example? Uh, so a lot of publishers in, in all over the world regularly have to question, can I raise my subscription prices? Um, and how far can I go without losing circulation? Because that's another metric, uh, the other metric that's very important to them. And if you look uh, at the classical toolbox marketing research is providing, then basically there are tools that go out and ask the subscribers, how much are you willing to pay? Um, and then they collect some numbers and then they add it up to a, a demand curve, so to say. And then the publisher says, okay, I have to react on, on the basis of this. So they go out and bluntly ask, how much are you willing to pay? Because the method as well as the, the publisher itself is assuming a very rational customer. In reality, the main driver for price acceptance in the whole subscription business is not the willingness to pay for a certain product, but the sheer fact that a lot of existing subscribers have no clue about how much they are paying and when they are paying. So one main source of price acceptance is rather the missing price knowledge than a deliberately willingness um, to pay for a certain product. 
So what we have to understand, that's what I mean with understanding the role of the price in the decision-making process. It's not only about understanding what is the sensitivity and valuation of certain product features, but really also asking about how much do they know about the price when they make the decision? Where do they make the decision? What kind of reference points do they have in mind? Uh, are there bargain hunters uh, or are there price acceptors? Uh, are there risk avoiders? What kind of decision strategies do the different customers follow when they actually make the purchase decision? And then we come to a much better understanding of this role of the price in the customer's decision-making process. And then, from a strategic point of view, we are not left with the only lever of a pricing strategy, which is the price level, but there are many other lever, levers in a pricing strategy that we can pull in order to increase price acceptance. So if I know that one of my main sources for price acceptance is price knowledge, then that teaches me a lot of uh, insights in regard to how I should communicate the price, for example. So um, in our world of behavioral pricing, uh, we say that a pricing strategy is not only about price level, it's about price structure, it's about price communication, it's about price dynamics, uh, all re you know, basically aligning to the different sources of price acceptance, you can skim with those tools. And I think that's a, it's a very valid point. The price knowledge thing um, is, is kind of key to this. Um, and I'm just thinking of examples of myself. Uh, um, I, I had a ping out of my uh, on my credit card the other day, and it was my my Amazon Prime subscription going <laughs> yeah. back out. Good um, the, the the one everyone forgets, right? And then yeah. it's it's another eighty eighty pounds or eighty euros or whatever it is going out um, every year. Uh, do I use it for that? Uh, do I get value from it? I don't know. I don't use the music section. I, I use a bit of the TV. It's it's one of those things. I think it's it's about understanding uh, what's happened and, and when that comes out. And I know people get tripped up about all of these different things. So question on this around the behavioral side of things and and this kind of price acceptance. You've probably seen a lot of um, and let's just let's just do a um, Let's just concentrate on that 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 subscription side of thing because that's what we we've, we've been talking about. Obviously, people do offers and things like that. Do you uh, does that come into play as well? So, if you see someone have a I don't know um, three months for three euros yeah. um, offer at the start, and then what's the suggestion uh, if if you can give a suggestion over the um, the behavioral side of the, the pricing going forward. So at the end of that three months, do you, do you bring people up to speed during that three month period about this, hap this is happening? You're saying here about communication, about structure, about dynamics. Is that something that you would be um, focused on ensuring that people understand that they are going to pay and when they're going to pay? Absolutely. Um, so um, our perspective, as I said, it's not when we design a pricing strategy, the, the one question is, okay, what's the price point? But the other questions refer to all these other dimensions I, I just uh, were listing. Um, and if we talk about subscription, that's a very, very interesting topic because it involves so many dimensions you can design and it involves a long-term customer relationship where you have a, a lot of touch point with the prices. So for example, if you think about a freemium model where you attract people with a, 
free of charge offer. Okay, so they sign up, they pay basically by just giving their name, uh, knowing that they, if they want to have a higher value product, they need to pay at certain point. So, but the first step is to get them into your portfolio. And then you need to make sure that, well, you, it's very important that you understand oh, that uh, in this world, it's, it's uh, a freemium model is not a revenue model, it's an acquisition model. So you need to have a lot of customers in there to make them move to the first payment level. Uh, and in order to help them, or in order to make sure they're doing that, you need to take care about their mental account of using this offer or using this service. So whenever people buy something from a behavioral perspective, they open up something like a mental account. Well, on the one, side, on the one side, they have what they paid for. On the other side is what they used uh, from the offer. Now, in the beginning, uh, they didn't pay for it. So it's, it's very important to make clear that, uh, that even the uh, free offer is of value, but there's much more value behind that if they go to the next level. Then they might go to the next level. And then you, again, you need to make sure that the, the amount they paid for at the end of the, uh, the payment period, they have the feeling they used it. And that's a very important distinction between the value we provide and what people use. Because people from a mental accounting perspective do not so much judge the value they buy, but the things they use. So in fact, if we design products or product portfolio, it's very important to not uh, fill a product with too many features. Uh, a lot of which people would say, oh, I don't need this. Because if they say a lot of times, I don't need this, they won't pay the price. Uh, because they have a very bad feeling in paying a price for something they're not using. That's why we say people do not so much judge the price value relationship of an offer, but much more the price usage relationship. So at the end of the day, if they paid you for the first level of your, or the second level of your subscription product portfolio, where they had to pay and you have too many features they haven't been using, then they probably would say to themselves, well, that was not worth it. I do not need to pay if 50% if, um, of the features they, they were marketing uh, are not of interest to me. And that, and, um... And that reflects very much to a, a very often observed marketing uh, uh, mistake because a lot of product managers like to fill up their products with a lot of dashes and features. So the more value we put into this product, the assumption is the more people would like to buy it and the more they would like to spend. And that's a mistake uh, because a lot of people cancel subscription because of the features they haven't been using, uh, not because of the features they, they use naturally, but it, it, they also generate a kind of hurdle when people are thinking about which option they should take. So you should be quite aware that every feature you add to a product is not only an argument to buy that product, but it can be a counter argument if people have the feeling that they are not going to use it even if it's the same price with or without this feature. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a very important insight from behavioral pricing that contradicts a very rational decision maker because if you have a very rational decision maker, if it's the same price, 
Uh, they want to have as many features as possible, but that's not the way people think. And that's um, that's really interesting. That's got my brain uh, working this morning because um, <laughs> that falls into every single category. For example, selling to B2Bs as uh, yeah. as a SaaS company, selling yeah. SaaS products. Yeah. Uh, it's exactly the same. And you're trying to build on value all the time when actually they might not need all of that value. They just need to know how it's going to solve their problem. Right. What are they going to use of that product? And if that's going to solve their problem, then that's great. If, if you're adding in all the value and the extra features, then potentially that um, that's something that's going to cause other problems going forward. And that's going to potentially, I don't know, scare them away from buying that product or committing yes. to that product or yes. whatever that might be. Absolutely. That's really interesting. Look, Florian, we could talk about this all day. I'm going to ask you um, one last question on this, if that's okay. Yeah. If you had to give some top tips to, um, to to use this this kind of behavioral pricing model to drive previously unknown margin potentials, what would what would they be? Starting with what we just ended with, um, the one main quote here would probably stop selling products, start managing decisions. Um, so as long as you're focused on selling your features, you might run into the risk of not really understanding what your customer needs and design your product accordingly. So we have to understand that it's much more about the designing of the whole decision architecture we provide a customer with, rather than saying, look here, I have so many features, I have so many options, I'm sure you'll find one that is interesting to you. Um, and if the customer doesn't buy, the normal reaction is, I repeat my features. Look, these are the wonderful features. And if the customer still doesn't buy, I give a discount. So that's the normal value-based selling approach. <laughs> yeah. um, and we have to understand that it's much more about designing the decision because the main insight from behavioral economics is, is that people hate to make decisions. Okay, so our task in pricing and sales is we are not selling a product, we are trying to make people decide it, okay? So we are trying to give them a reason so that they can say this was the right choice. Um, and that's on a long-term perspective. So at the end of a subscription period, they need to have the feeling they did not spend too much on the wrong features. Um, so this is, this is one very important aspect. I think another very important aspect in pricing and sales is um, that, and that's also learning from behavioral economics, is the classical marketing approach and pricing approach and selling approach is about selling and pricing value. Because the assumption is that the only difference between two customers might be their needs. So customer A has different needs than customer B. Um, that's the only difference, so that's why I market my value. Now, behavioral economics brought the insight that people cannot only differ in terms of what they want, but they can also differ in terms of how they make a decision. So if I want to sell something, I basically want to influence a customer's decision. So I need not only to know what they want, but also how they make a decision. Uh, and that's another very important uh, insight from behavioral economics to pricing and sales. We are selling not on one dimension, which is value, which we are pricing and selling on two dimensions. On the value dimension, what do people want? 
and on the decision dimension, how do they make a decision? So assume that two customers do want exactly the same product with the same configuration. Let's, let's take something that is highly complex to configure, let's say a car. Two people want to have the same car with the same features, but the one customer is a bargain hunter and the other one is a price acceptor. Your pricing and sales needs to be very different towards those two guys in order to make them buy this product. Um, and that is something classical pricing often neglects because it's focused on putting a price point to a certain feature uh, and forgetting that the other dimension is as important as the value dimension, namely how people make a decision. And that has to be served strategically on the pricing side, but also in execution when it comes to selling. A good salesman understands these two dimensions and serves both of them well. I like that and uh, very, very good tips. And um, as, as someone that works in sales myself, um, very, very um, uh, useful, useful tips there as well to uh, my brain, as I said, is, is, is full of ideas right now, <laughs> full of uh, full of things spinning around there. Look, um, Florian, um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Is it visit you through the website? Uh, through the website or via email, um, florian.bauer at vocatus.de. Um, and and probably have a lot of content on the website. So, uh, for example, if you're interested in, in this typology, which I just mentioned, two of the types, bargain hunters and price acceptors, in total there are five. We call it the Crips typology. You find a lot of content around that. And, and that's a good starting point for diving into behavioral pricing because it's very practical and everybody can relate to that. Perfect. No, that's great. I highly recommend going and checking out the content um, on the website. Um, last two questions then, Florian, for you. Um, and I've asked this on every podcast so far. Firstly, um, we're, we go to a bar uh, and uh, we go up to the bar. What's your drink of choice? Oh, it, it, that's very dependent on the time of day. But if you go at the evening, I would probably uh, take a gin tonic. Gin and tonic. I've had that a few times on the, on the session. <laughs> that's probably also a fashion sub. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a great choice. And um, I'm making a upbeat um, playlist of music for the, the summer. Obviously, it's been a uh, unfortunate year so far across the world. So I'm trying to, trying to put some feel-good music out there. What would be your song of choice to add to that playlist? Oh, something that always brings me in good mood is Beethoven's Ninth. <laughs> to not to add something more classic, uh, and not that. I, I haven't had that one. I haven't had that one yet. So that's a great choice, and we're going. But it always more... makes me smile. So that's a very good. Uh... It's a it's a great song as well. Uh, well, if you can call it a song, it's a great symphony. There we go. There's a better word. Um, look, Florian. Um, great to meet you. Great to chat to you. Thank you very much for your time and joining us today on the Zephyr Podcast Sessions and. Uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, drop Florian an email, uh, florian.bauer at uh, vocatus.de uh, or go and visit their website and read more about the pricing. Um, Florian, thank you very much for your time. And uh, thank you. Great to have you on. Take care.